Well, welcome to Safe Haven. Um, if you are a guest with us, glad you're here. Um, welcome. Um, I, I hope you find a place here that you can connect. And if, if, if you need to know how to do that, come find me. I, I'd love to help you connect. And if you're a long-timer, um, hey, it's good to see you too. Um, and, and so glad that you're here. So we're going through Genesis. We got a lot of ground to cover and a little time to cover it. So we're just going to jump right in, okay? Um, last week we made it through two verses. Woo! Uh, this week we'll actually make it the rest of the way through chapter 1 and actually into chapter 2. Um, so we're going to take a, a grand thematic look at it, but also some micro details as well. So let's go ahead and throw this on the screen just to give you a recap of what Genesis is all about. It's, it's not a complicated book of the Bible to study. Um, it's broken up into basically two sections, uh, chapters 1 through 11. You've got four major events. We're on the first of those still, the, the creation narrative. And, and so there's creation, fall, flood, nations. These four major events, the second half of the book... Chapter 12, all the way through 50, you've got four major people. So there's your trivial pursuit, golden answer right there. Genesis laid out very simply, four major events, four major people. That's how it it flows itself out. And so we are looking at the beginning of the human race here at creation uh, today. And so at this point, God has decided in the counsel of his own will, not because he was under compulsion by anything, in his own will... He just decided to look upon dark matter, however it was, in the midst of waters and draw those things together and, and form life. That's where this all begins. And so we're looking at the beginning of the, the early stages of the earliest history the human mind can even conceive of. Like you can't conceive of anything earlier than this. This is, this is where we're at. And so it really is, like me and Julie Beth, we... We've met with so many of y'all and, and had dinner and lunches and breakfast and all this kind of stuff. And one of, the, one of our favorite questions, as a matter of fact, if, if, if you've met with me and Julie Beth for lunch and, or dinner or something as a couple and we ask you how y'all met, raise your hand. Okay, yeah. There, that's kind of one of the, the first questions that we ask. It's a good intro question. It's a, it's a fun question. And these days, um, within about three seconds, you can tell whether this story is going to be awkward, uh, funny, uh, or, or just exciting. We hear all kinds of things. Um, we met, you, you always know when somebody goes, oh, oh we, uh, we met at a party. And, uh, and then life, can, you hear that. Um, dating apps are humongous these days. I can't tell you how many people have met off dating apps. Uh, we went to church together. We went to a camp together. We, we went to all these different kind of things. But here's the deal. Every time we ask that question, it always draws a twinkle in each other's eyes. Every now and then it draws a throat punch. <laughs> um, but it's always a twinkle in an eye to the genesis of when that relationship began. That's what the book of Genesis is all about. It should draw a twinkle in our eye to where it all began. Where did it come from? How did it start? Where did we have our first initial relationship with the Father, Creator, God? And why does he glimmer in his eye when he thinks about us? That's what Genesis really is all about. So today we're going to look at that, how we met God, if you will, or how did God birth us into being the creation narrative. So again, we won't be able to do this a lot, uh, but 
on the days that we can, I, I love to read God's word aloud because I think that's just as much an act of worship as anything else that occurs. So would you stand in honor of God's word? Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read the entire creation narrative um, for us this morning. Genesis chapter 1, and I'll begin in verse 1 just even as a recap. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was or became without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Wasn't that just a cool thought last week about the Spirit just hovering over us? What a What a glorious truth that he's hovering over us today. All right, Troy, keep reading or we're never going to get out of here and watch the Super Bowl. I got you. I'm with you. Okay, verse 3. God said, let there be light. That was light. God saw the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let, the, uh, let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights. The great light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. It's almost like the stars just get a shout out, <laughs> kind of in passing. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm and with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said... Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image. It's you. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, all of our history was set in motion. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Hey, church, these are the words of the living God. Amen? Amen. Be seated. Well, so what I want to do today for me is is I've been studying through this. And so by default, you will... um, We'll just kind of go through this with four questions. I I think the creation narrative poses at minimum four questions that it should cause us to ponder. And they're notable questions, meaning that they'll imply certain other things and they'll cause us to just kind of think on God and and why God was so adamant that Moses penned this and and why we should know it and why we should look at it. And, And so these four questions will pop up on the screen. These are the four questions I want to look at notable out of this passage. One... What physical action was required of God to create? How long did it take for God to create? Um, What was created each day? And why is creation such a big deal? Now, if you've been around Safe Haven for any time at all, you know that those may sound like simple questions. But alas, they're they're not always the simplest of questions to answer um, until we get to the last one. So we'll just kind of look at this. Let's look at these four questions. Number one, first question that I think is notable is what physical action did God take to create all that was created? Now, this is notable because all he did was what? What was the action that he took? He just spoke. He just spoke. And we should just fly by that. I mean, that is a power flex of all power flexes. I mean, so God, in his sovereign decree had a secret will, and in his secret will, he spoke it audibly, and instantly it occurred. That, my friend, is powerful. And it's a a power that that you ought to be glad that none of us have, right? Like if we had the power to just speak audibly, well, a couple of things for me would happen in about five seconds. I would have the baddest mastercraft you've ever seen in your life, um, and I would also have a peach cobbler (laughs) right here. Just sitting right here in front of me, I would just have a peach cobbler. You're like, Troy, why peach cobbler? Well, because I like peach cobbler. And so if we could do that, I mean, how many of these things would occur? God, in his power, just spoke. I mean, and he didn't speak things again like I would speak. Like I would, you know, long flowing hair. Boom, bam. Like he spoke into existence history. That's how powerful he is. These verses that we read, chapter 3, he spoke light. 
verse 6, he spoke expanse. Verse 9, he spoke waters. Verse 11, he spoke vegetation. Verse 14, he spoke great lights. Verse 20, he spoke water creatures. Verse 24, he spoke land creatures. And verse 26, he spoke man. (laughs) And not only did he just speak it and it happened, showing the flex of his power, but all creation still obeys him. They obey his very word. So think back with me to the Exodus. God said this. He said, hey, frogs, locusts, y'all gather up and go. And what did the frogs and locusts do? They gathered up and went and tortured Pharaoh. At his command, boom, just go. You get to the Red Sea. And, and, and Moses is crossing over. And God says, hey, water. We think of water as an inanimate object, right? He says, hey, water, get up. Stand up and split. And what does water do? Yes, sir. Boom, I'm up. I mean, you can go back to Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And they're worshiping all these crazy gods. And God says, hey, look, I'm going to send some fire down from heaven. Elijah goes, hey, we need some fire, God. And God goes, hey, fire, fall. What does, what does fire do? Falls out of the sky. Just at his spoken word. You get to the moment with Joshua where the earth stops spinning. How, how that even occurs and, and where the day... The sun stands still. We get it. We all understand what's going on in that passage. We've got um, humans speaking in terms that they can understand. Whatever happens, we have the day that just stops at God's command. We got all of these different things. And the only thing in creation that struggles with obeying the voice of God is what? Us. The very life that he breathed soul into, the imagio day, will, intellect, spirit, emotion, the, the thing that he gave the ability to volitionally choose is the one thing, the one thing that still wrestles with him. Now, we'll get to that a little bit later. But I bring that up because I think that's notable. Why? Because that had to be one of the hardest things for Christ to bear on the cross. Imagine. The agent of creation, the one who spun the world into existence on a cross, looking down at his creation, knowing every cell in their bodies as they mock him. (laughs) The creation mocking the creator is just this notable moment. And it doesn't just happen on the cross. So we usually get to Easter and there's an Easter pageant and and all the kind of things. And we think about the cross. It comes back to Genesis That's why it's so notable, this creator God. And I genuinely don't mean this irreverent. I really don't. But if Jesus would have been any of us, and thank God he is not again, on the cross when that occurs, all of us would have said, no, no, no. (laughs) Y'all can kiss my grits. You thought I was going to say something else, but I didn't. We would have done that. We would have... We've done that, and this is the creator God that we serve. So we think back, what physical action did God take? And we see this power flex of him just speaking. And that's notable, and it should be notable to us. The power of God's voice. So when God speaks to you, what do you do? How are you reacting? When you hear the voice of God, listen, that is a blessed thing to be received and for us to 
to move in what he says, ultimately for our good, but more importantly for his glory. So what physical action did he take? He spoke. Now, how long did it take? How long did it take, church? We got the quick answer. Six days of creation and then one day of rest, a total of seven days, right? He, he, he started on a Sunday. He ended on a Saturday. And so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he goes to work. And then on Saturday, he rests. And so you guys know that there are several nuances here, and I think this is notable. I think it's something that we should look at. What solid theologians have agreed on and what solid theologians have not agreed on. And then I'll explain to you why I think this is notable. So let's look at a couple of things. We did this last week, and it was exciting for me. It was invigorating. Um, So we're going to do it again. Who is on team? Look, Troy, there were six literal 24-hour days, a total of 144 hours that God created the universe. Who's on that team? Let's go. Raise the hands. We got six literal boom. There we go. All right, and, and, and so for you, if that is you, and you fit in that category, to explain the stratosphere and, and all of the geological shifts and all the things that, that mankind is able to look at and all this kind of stuff, you've got two ways to look at that. You go, okay, at the flood, there was an incredible cosmic disruption, and there's all kind of shifting going on, and fossils getting shifted around, and, and boom. And I say to you, hey, that, that is a, it is a very plausible thing. Or you can say, uh, well, God created with the appearance of age. After all, he didn't create Adam as a little bitty baby. <laughs> they kind of grew up, did he? He created Adam, boom, and so he was created with the appearance of age. And so therefore, he definitely could have created the world in all of its glory with the appearance of age and all the strata and all that kind of stuff. And if that's you, you're in good company. You are in the company of John Calvin, Martin Luther, Louis Burkhoff, Wayne Grudem, some powerful systematic theologians all hold to this view, which is also a shameless plug for Wednesday night systematic theology. You should be here. You should be here. Uh, Wayne Grudem is actually a theologian that we, that we love to, to, to study. But anyways, so all of that, you, you fit in that. Now, if you're not on that team and you're itching to raise your hand, here we go. Who is on team... With the Lord, a day is as a thousand, and a thousand is as one. If that's you. All right. <laughs> Good. Now, if this is you, this can actually be subdivided in all kinds, at least four views of how creation happened. Not a literal seven days, but metaphoric and or symbolic or literal slash with an analogous uh, period at the end. I'll explain this. Number one, you may hold to something that's called the intermittent activity view. So God literally created what he said he created in 24 hours, and then there was a period at the end of that. And then in between the next day, there was an extended period of time. So he created light, period, and then there was an extended period of time, and then day two begins, literal, boom. So you got this. Or you could be the day-age view. The day is not a literal 24-hour day, but it corresponds with the geological age, the age of light, the age of lights, the age of fish, the age of whatever. You could be the framework view. 
framework being God had to explain creation to Moses. Moses is just a man. And so he explains it in a framework that Moses can understand. Moses understands sunrise, sunset, day. So he says, hey, Moses, this is how I did it. Day one, boom. Day two, and Moses goes, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Or you could be the analogical view, which is each day represents a cycle of God's working punctuated with him finally resting. All right, so you could be all of that. And if you're in that category, you are in good stead with some solid theologians. In your camp would be Augustine. That's a pretty big one. Aquinas, R.C. Sproul, J.I. Packer, all of these theologians. And so with that said, now I want to offer another team. Maybe you want to be, who? I thought I was on one team, but I want to switch my teams because I heard of a theologian I like and I want to be with him now. If that is now you, raise your... Okay, good. So, which of course, the majority of you in here are on team. Can Britt just get back up here and start playing again? Because my brain is hurting, right? So you may say, well, Troy, what team are you on? Here's what I would say to you. I am definitely on a team. And... I'm still trying to figure out how I can speak peach cobbler into existence. <laughs> so we'll just go with that. Um, and if you want to debate anyone, Dan, Dan Johnson over here would love to debate with you about any of those. Um, and then if you're trying to figure out if the earth is round or flat, you need to go talk to Britt Bricken, and he would love to debate with you about that. I bring all of that up is this. The point is this. Christ-centered, Bible-believing, orthodox theologians have differed on this right here. Your understanding of how creation happened, the litmus test of orthodoxy does not fit into, was it a literal seven days or not a literal seven days? So if you're like raging, no, it has to be! Slow your roll. Chill out. It's okay. We can disagree on this and still come to the understanding that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. That we can agree on. So with that said, what solid theologians have agreed on? All of those theologians have agreed on some certain aspect, and this is where Safe Haven Church does take a definitive stance. One is this. All solid Orthodox theologians um, have said there is a historical Adam and Eve, All Orthodox theologians have said the inerrancy of God's word in all matters, even creation, rests here. Um, All Orthodox theologians have said, yes, this was the beginning of the historical reality of the fall, of grace, of redemption, of the plan for the Messiah to come. And all of the Genesis accounts are fact, not poetry. You've probably been in a class where somebody, maybe it was English or maybe it was history, something, and your professor began by saying this, Christians have the book of Genesis, and it is a, it's a grand book of poetry. The moment that comes out of a mouth is the moment that you say, even if I get an F in a class, it ain't poetry. <laughs> this is historical narrative. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this, For the Israelites, they didn't read this and go, that's a fun song to sing. The Israelites read this and it wasn't myth for them. Rather, it was God's answer to what they had been taught was myth. 
It was God telling them, you've heard all these things about creation and all of these various gods, and it's not that. This is how it occurred. It was fact, and all theologians have agreed on that. So, what was created each day? That gets us to this point. And we can think through these, again, in macro and then also micro. And maybe you've never thought about them this way before, but there's some fun things here. Macro view. This will pop up on the screen. Days one through three, you're going to see God is forming the earth. Think about he's building a house. Okay. Days four through six, he's filling the earth. That's how creation is subdivided. He forms the house. And then day four through six, he starts putting comforters in. <laughs> he starts hanging artwork. He's, he's filling it, if you will. And in all of the days, one through six, he's freeing the people from polytheism. And all of them are attacks. Day one, the Egyptians worshipped the God of light. They literally worshipped the sun. And so day one, God says, do not worship the sun. I created it. You worship me. And so it's a, it's a war with the Israelite, I mean the Egyptians. And so he's answering also the problem of Genesis 1 1. Genesis was 1 1. Genesis, Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created, and the earth was two things. What? Formless and void. Day 1 through 3, he answers the formlessness and brings about form. Days four through six, he answers, answers the void or emptiness and fills the earth. Isn't that cool? That's incredible stuff. There's a great system to this. And so if you write in your Bibles, and if you don't write in your Bible, don't write in your Bible. But if you do, this is some good place to draw brackets. And I, Are some of y'all in here the kind that can do the different colored things and like you're drawing the art? I'd love to, okay, <laughs> Kelsey, are you that person? There's some really cool things going on in this passage. Draw some lines for you. Each day corresponds from forming to filling. Have you caught that? Day one, light was formed. Day four, masses were brought in to fill that light. Day two, sky and water were formed. Day five, birds and fish fill the sky and water. Day three, land and plants were formed. Day six, man and animals fill it and subdue it. Isn't that neat? This forming and filling going on. And for mathematicians, this is just your day, man. This doubly good. There's a lot of sevens going on in this passage as well. This is not my work. This is the work of Professor Casuto, who is a professor at Hebrew University. Okay, so I don't lay claim to any of this. I didn't see this in the passage. I read it, and I completely stole it from him. All right? So there's a plug, just so that you know. Here we go. All these sevens. Creation is distributed over seven days. There's three main nouns in the first verse, God, heavens, and earth, all of those are repeated in sequence of seven all throughout chapter one. God is mentioned 35 times, which is five times seven. Heavens are mentioned 21 times, which is three times seven. Earth is mentioned 21 times, which is three times seven. In the Hebrew, the first verse has how many words? Seven. You, like, this is an easy answer. There's no curveball here. It's, the answer is going to be seven, all right? Just telling you ahead of time, all right? The second verse has 14 words, which is 2 times 7. The seventh paragraph is guess which day? The seventh. The seventh of the day. Like somebody just said, 
fifth, I don't know. You're the one that flunked all your tests in school. The teacher just told you the answer is seven, okay? It has three sentences. Each sentence has how many words? Seven. And each sentence repeats the phrase, the seventh day. And all of that, my friends, is what Hebrew professors do for fun. <laughs> right? Just really neat. So that's kind of the macro view. Now let's look at the micro view. In church, this is how God took unformed substance, whatever that is, out of water and started our history. Let's look at it together. Sunday, he says, let there be light. And even more astonishing than the fact that he said, let there be light, light flooded the world, but yet the sun had not been created yet. It's pretty powerful. So what is he doing? He's flooding it with his own glory. And agnostics and atheists will look at this and go, oh, I I don't like that at all. I mean, your Bible begins with a light and there's no sun. It does. And you know what? It'll happen again. Because we've studied verse by verse every word of Revelation. Do you remember what happens in Revelation? There is now no longer any sun to illuminate the sky, but the sky is illuminated by who? Christ and his glory. Oh, it'll happen again. And if you remember in John chapter 8, they're having the festival of lights. And in the festival of lights, the Israelites are worshiping the fact that God created light. And so they're having this whole festival and they're lighting candles and, and they're, they're, they're lighting, well, I guess that's all they have is candles. <laughs> they're, they're burning things, maybe so I can come up with point number two. They're having all these lights and they're celebrating. Yes, God created. That's so awesome. And then Jesus steps forward in John chapter 8 at the end of that festival. And you remember what he says? He says, I am the, I'm the light. I'm the light. And all of them said, you're, did you just claim to be the one who illuminated the sky at the beginning? You're a nut job. And you know what? He's either a nut job or he's the God who lit the sky up on day one of creation. That's the God we worship. So he says, let there be light. And when he comes again, he'll do this for us. It's like a dentist, right? Dentist who you you sit down on the chair and he pulls that big glowing light and you're blinded. And the light illuminates and he says, now let's get to work on your nasty teeth. (laughs) And that's kind of what happens in Genesis day one. God says, light. Now let's get to work. Guess this is today too, Monday. Monday, he says, let there be an expanse, firmament, a sky to separate the waters from above and below. Don't get hung up on firmament and all these type things. If you want to know what this is, when you walk out today, look up, and everything that you see is blue, that's what happened on day two. It's the sky. And so in the sky, he sets the clouds. The clouds hold the water above And then we've got the seas below that hold the the water below. And so in simple terms, I guess we could say on Monday, God created the blue part. (laughs) And, And very fascinating with this verse also is that every day God says it was good or the last day he says was very good except for one day. There's one day that God does not say is good and that day, my friends, is Monday. It's Monday. It's the only thing in there that doesn't say this. So tomorrow, if you wake up like a gargoyle <laughs> or your spouse wakes up and just like, Rawr! you know, don't get mad at them. They're just being good theologians, <laughs> right? It's just a bad day. 
So this happens on this day. Day three, Tuesday. He speaks twice. He really gets things rolling. Um, He says, let there be gathered earth. He makes shape out of chaos. And then he says, let there be vegetation and plants. And he begins filling the earth, preparing for what was to come. It's important. Everything he's doing is building on purpose. And so, without Tuesday, we don't have squash casserole. So you can thank Tuesday, squash casserole for Tuesday. I'm convinced Brussels came in chapter 3 with the fall of mankind. So I'm sure that wasn't here on this day. Um, But this is what's going on. Vegetation's made. This is a great gospel moment. Even in Tuesday, this gospel moment, think about this. Maybe you've never thought about this. We typically think death didn't exist in the world until the fall of man. And that's true for mankind. But death already existed with vegetation. That's how vegetation grows, right? You have seed, it falls off of the tree, it falls into the ground, it rots, it decays, it dies, and then what does it do? It springs forth new life. This is how the the cycle of, of, of earth worked. Nothing has changed since they stood. So death reigned, but death didn't reign for humanity. And it didn't reign for humanity because mankind could eat from the tree of the tree of life. So mankind eats from the tree of life. This is what sustains him. This is what separates him from vegetation. Mankind sins, chapter 3, and now all of a sudden the first thing God does is say, you are cast out of the garden. You can no longer eat from tree of life. Death now enters into humanity, right? And that's where history begins. And so if God set in motion right there and said, therefore all man is damned and you don't have a shot at getting back in the garden, he would have been just and right and good to do so. But in his grace and love, he sets in motion the plan of redemption and says, I'm going to send my son who also will live the perfect life, doesn't deserve to die, but will be crushed, crucified, put in a grave and die, really die, so that he could, boom, bring forth life to your soul. What a good gospel moment on Tuesday. Tuesday of all days. And when we get to Revelation What will we see in the center of heaven? It will be illuminated by Jesus, but we will also, as revelation, do you remember what it said we will eat from? The tree of life shows back up in the garden in Revelation. Genesis and Revelation, they all circle together. Okay, i got to speed up. You're like, Troy, you don't have a chance of getting done with this. I know. Hang in there with me. Nobody wants to watch the Bengals anyway. So... Here we, here we, the only amen we get today, right there. All right, so everything's taking shape. It's shining, and now it's ready to find animate, mobile life. So it's formed. It's about to be filled. Day four, we get to Wednesday, hump day. And on hump day, God says, let there be a sun, and let there be a moon, and let there be stars. And he hangs them in their place. And as I read that, I just kept thinking about bedazzlers. I know, I know, it's very bizarre and very strange. But, but you, you're, it doesn't matter what age you, if you were in 1970s when the bedazzler came about, you lived the bedazzler age. If you were in the 1990s when everybody was bedazzling their jeans and all down their backside, was, you lived in bedazzler days. It's almost like God on Wednesday was like boom, 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 boom. He's just hanging out jewels everywhere. I very, welcome to this very bizarre brain. 
So he, he goes bedazzler on us, and he throws out these two great lights. He hangs the stars in place. Kent Hughes, who was the pastor and uh, leader of Wheaton College, and man, he, he was reflecting on this, and, and I stole this from him. He was reflecting on Sir Isaac Newton. And Sir Isaac Newton had apparently made a replica of the solar system. Now listen, I know many of y'all made a replica of the solar system with like those sponge balls, okay? This is not what Sir Isaac Newton made. So Newton made a solar system that, with gears and pulleys and nuts and bolts and all this kind of stuff that when he cranked one gear, the whole thing spun and everything spun in motion in the sequence that it was supposed to be put in. Now, if he got an F on that one, I don't ever have a shot of making an A, okay? So he does this, and he puts it together. Sir Isaac Newton was a believer. He looked at the cosmos and all this kind of stuff, and he said, there's no way there can't be a creator. Intelligent design had to come up with this. One of the greatest minds that the world has ever seen. And he had an unbelieving friend came into his shop one day, and he saw this that Newton had put out. And the friend came in, and he looked at it, and he goes, wow. Now, I don't know if he called him sir. I guess back in the day he called him Isaac, maybe Issa for short. I don't know. Okay. Maybe he called him Pete. I don't know. That's irrelevant to the story. Train. Here we go, brain. Um, so he walks in and he goes, that is incredible, man. How did you do that? Who came up with this? Who built this thing? Who helped you build it? And without missing a beat, Newton recalls that he looked at him and he said, nobody. Nobody created it. All the nuts and bolts just fell into place and made this thing happen on its own. And his friend got the point. The friend was blown away with the fact of this replica. And he looked at this replica and said, there had to be a creator that made that. And Newton goes, no, nobody did it. Throwing in his face that this guy could look at the stars in the universe and go, oh, that's just random chance. Bull. And that's the point of creation. And if it wasn't Sunday, I would say stronger words, but I shall not. That gets us to day five, Thursday. On day five, Thursday, God said, let there be whales, let there be mahi-mahi, let there be octopus, octopi, however, whatever that plural of that is. Uh, let there be goldfish. I'm going to fill up these giant fish bowls. And he did. And all these things. And then he said also, let there be eagles and swallows and woodpeckers and I guess gnats because they fly too. I, again, I, maybe that was after the fall. But they all took flight. <laughs> and then for kicks and giggles <laughs> on this day, he builds things that you would think could fly that can only swim like penguins. <laughs> It's like he's doing this, and he's going, they're going to see my glory. And then he starts giggling, and he goes, I'm really going to mess them up with this funny-looking creature. (laughs) Boom, and he throws the penguin out there. And then he makes things that can fly that you would think can only swim, like those weird flying fish. And they pop out of the, boom, and he, he does this. And all of these start reproducing after their kind. That emphasized over and over and over. Church, I told you. We're going to hit some topics, hot topics, buzz topics, really fast in society, this being one of them. He creates after their kind, repeated several times in the book of Genesis chapter 1. So a monkey, a monkey can adapt. 
it can become smaller if necessary. It can become larger if necessary. It can do all these things. You know what a monkey can't do? It can't become a billy goat. It doesn't happen. It's never happened. There is no missing link. They're after their kind. And this is repeated over and over and over. And this is good news for us. And it's good news for us because we don't have to freak out when we're sitting in the hospital waiting to see what is about to come out of our wife's belly. (laughs) Right? Now listen, when Julie Beth was about to have our children, I didn't sit there and go, man, I sure hope she don't have an ostrich. Now now again, when the kids do come out, I did look at them and was like, no, she may have gave birth to an alien because of that is, you know, whatever. But we don't have to worry. This is the beautiful design of our Creator after their kind. And on Thursday, He creates, and then day six comes, Friday. Steak day. Steak day, right? Cows, deer, all this kind of stuff. Hold hold on. No, 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 no. Remember, we're still vegetarians at this point. (laughs) We're not eating animals. Animals are our friends, not food. At this point, to quote a famous movie, uh, I can't remember which one it was, but thank you. (laughs) It's real famous, but I don't know which one it is. I'm sure it's Disney. On this day, this wonderful zoo happens. And there's cow, and there's deer, and there's elephants, and there's monkeys, and there's sloths, and there's all kind of things. All wonderful gifts again. All wonderful friends to what he's about to create. And then... He looks upon creation and he goes, it's ready. It's ready for the crown jewel. And he says, man, woman, boom. And we're still the crown jewel of his creation. He didn't set his imagio day on anything else. You never see a squirrel worshiping you see them tearing into your attic but you don't ever see squirrels on the tree on the limb going hey let's all get together and worship just don't why because god didn't set his will intellect spirit and emotion on them he gave them life but he said i'm gonna there's one thing that i mean i want it to have everything i got and it's man and in that moment the greatest wonder our genesis begins. And to this day, there's nothing like mankind. Nothing like it. If we could have seen God place the feathers on a hawk, albeit interesting, it wouldn't have compared with the crown jewel of when a baby is born today. If if we could have seen God place the scales on fish, I almost said catfish, but I don't think they have scales. It would... It wouldn't compare to when you were born. That's his affection on you. And so when God knits together a child in their mother's womb, this passage alone is why we as believers believe in the dignity of life. It's why we stand for it. Because it's not a random chance. Now listen, I... I know this. In a room this size, there's probably somebody who's made a mistake in their life and maybe you've been through an abortion and and all that kind of stuff. And you're, you're hearing this passage and it's sitting heavy on you. And to you, I say this, we love you at Safe Haven.
We love you. There's nothing you have done that you are too far gone, that my junk don't match. I've got just as much garbage, okay? Do not hear that condemnation. In Christ Jesus, if he is your beloved, you are his bride. You are sinless, freed, whole, okay? But also, church, this is why we will stand for life in the womb. Because it's the handiwork of God himself. It's a majestic creation. And when every star falls from the sky, when all stars fall, every soul will continue to live forever. Forever. That's how powerful our Lord is. And so this is why this is notable to me. It shows us how the dignity of life is. And I'll go ahead and say this. The dignity of life, because some of you want to punch me in the face. and like, you're not talking about the tomb. From the womb to the tomb, we ought to have dignity of life. From the genesis to the end. And so, for the rest of us, I want to say this. My brother has some reason got into these DNA kits and ancestry kits. And I think he's almost become like a little cult leader. <laughs> like if you're into that, like, you, like people who get into that really get into that. Well, he's been diving into this stuff and I don't care too much for it, but I did ask him the other day when he told me some of the stuff he had found. I said, hey, okay, so you found out that we landed once we came over in Tennessee. Great. I'm a hillbilly now. I guess I was a hillbilly back then. And so I said, hey, buddy, like, have you found anything cool? He's like, no, I hadn't found anything cool. And I'm like, listen, Tennessee, are we somehow connected to the Vanderbilts? please tell me there's like a 1-100th connection to the Vanderbilts and some part of their slush fund they've got left over for their remnants. And he goes, no, but I don't, I don't think we're connected to the Vanderbilts. Now, we might have dug coal <laughs> for the Vanderbilts, but we don't have anything in our lineage that is of value. Here's what I want to say to you. According to this passage, you have a grand lineage. God didn't make mistake when he created you and you are in the lineage of God the creator and he made you perfect just the way he wanted you to be. That's your lineage. You believe that believer. Your lineage doesn't terminate with your drunk uncle. Your lineage terminates with a holy God who loved you and gave himself for you. Day seven. And God said, I'm going to take a nap now. (laughs) Naps are biblical. And so he rests. And he looks upon his creation and goes, man, that's very good. So why did he do it? Last question. Why did he do it? Why is this such a big deal? Did he do it because he was lonely? Well, no. If God's lonely, then he ceases to be God. He was perfectly content. God had three and one. Was he bored? Absolutely not. He does everything that he does to flex his sovereign will. And any time he flexes his sovereign will, it's for a good purpose. No matter if it seems bad to us or good to us, it is for his will. Why did he do it? He did it because he's glorious. That's why he did it. He did it to power flex in a way that Schwarzenegger never dreamt of a power flex. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. When I look at Arnold Schwarzenegger and all his muscle, well, I mean, not anymore. Like back before he was flabby Schwarzenegger. Um, I mean, I look at it and I'm just like, that is amazing. Like, I didn't know that these things right here could actually do 
what he built them to do, you know. It pales in comparison when God flexes here, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, God flexes on the grand stage right here so that there's never a person ever in history who can look and go, I didn't know there was a God, which is exactly what Romans 1 chapter says. Romans 1 says this, all men know, all men know that there's God by what has been created so that there's no one with excuse, which answers the age-old question. What about the tribe in Africa who never hears about the gospel? According to the scriptures, here's what happens to that tribe. They respond to the creation, and if they respond to the creation, finding their creator, God will send them the message and hope of Jesus Christ, and therefore they'll be saved. That's how it works. And in this moment, he's flexing, and he's showing us that he's not only good, but he's God. And we may go, well, that seems awful prideful. Don't sound real humble of God to create a world just so that people would go, wow, that's a powerful God. Troy, that seems a little bit cocky. And here's what I would say. He's God. (laughs) Like if anybody can be cocky, it's God. Like if anybody can be not humble, it's God. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what I'm saying. He did all of it so that we would go, there is no one like you. No one. And you deserve all the glory which is day seven, all of creation. Why did he do it? Because it leads us to worship. So as the band comes back up, I pray that if you're a non-believer, I pray that today this passage in creation has wrecked your soul. I pray that you see the goodness of God, his power, his glory, his majesty through what has been created and or just a retelling of what has been created. And believers, man, Believers, the same power that spoke life out of a dark, formless, void world is the same voice that spoke life into our formless, void, dark hearts. That's the power at work within you. Not just the power that raised Christ from the dead, but the power that said, boom, monkeys, that same power touched you. What a great gift. Because he didn't have to, did he? He didn't have to. So creation is his specialty. Creation is his wheelhouse. (laughs) And Genesis causes us to worship. Let's pray together. Well, God, I know it's been a long day and, and, and we've spent a lot, a lot of time in this passage, but God, I just pray that anything that, I, that came out of my mouth that was not glorifying to you or did not point people to contemplate you and Jesus, I pray that you strike it from their minds. Lord, please strike anything from their minds that doesn't bring you glory. But God, anything that has caused us to think about your holiness, your power, your love, your redemptive narrative, 
may it, like the original vegetation, grow deep in our soul. And may it birth life and worship out of Safe Haven Church.